Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. A lot of you know Caleb, and it's great to have him back. And uh, in case you're right here on the front row, his wife. And uh, and so if you don't know Caleb, Caleb was part of our church for many years and was a significant part of the early days of our church up until a few years ago. And he's always uh, been part of our teaching crew in those days. And it's fun to have him back teaching today um, and this series called The Art of Living. Let me pray, and then Caleb will come. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are, what you do. And Lord, we do pray for um, this moment that as Caleb speaks, that the word of God would come out and penetrate our hearts. And so God, we, uh, we give you this time in your name. Amen. Amen. Morning, friends. How are you? Hi, for those of you who know who I am. Hi, friends. It's really good to see you again. For those of you I'm just meeting, Hello, I'm Caleb. Uh, very nice to meet you. Um, I am very, very excited to be back here today. It has felt um, like a long, long time. And it's been almost two years um, since I've been up here with you. I've been here in that time, but not up here. And I cannot tell you, and I could, I could try, but you wouldn't get it. You know, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you wouldn't get it. Like, um, this church means so much to me. Um, like, I love the church. Okay, I love God's church. I love it for all of its good things. I love it with all of its problems. I love it because God gave it to us that Jesus came and did everything he could possibly do by going to the cross. And he goes, and now I'll take a step further. I'm gonna send you my church. I love the church. I love that. I, I love that there's a lot of you in here I don't know. And that you come from places I don't know and understand. And you're walking into this room that we all walked into this morning carrying our own garbage and baggage. And here's the great part. Whatever you're walking through, God's got a name for that. I love that. I love that that's what the church exists for. That whatever we're walking through this morning, God's like, hey, don't worry. Like you're struggling this morning. I'm the rock. Don't worry. You need me to fight for you? I'm the lion of Judah. I got your back. You need someone to talk to? I'm the great counselor. I'll talk to you about that. Like that's what I love about the church. I love the church. So I say all that to say... I really love this church. (laughs) I love Oklahoma City Community Church. I love it so much. I see some of your faces out there, and my little friends are here. I just, I haven't seen you in so long. I was so excited. Always nervous to teach, but there's something about being in front of your friends, man. Like, what this church did for me and what this church continues to do. We've been gone for almost two years, and thankful to technology that I've yet to miss a week. So even though I haven't been here, I'm listening with you. I'm engaging with you. I love this place. I can't tell you what it's meant to me. There's so many people that I've done life with for so long. Robbie up here on the keys was in my small group when he was just a wee lad. Uh, I was his small group leader. Isaiah and I have been friends since we knew how to make friends. Um, I've been doing ministry with Stephen for 12 years now uh, throughout. Leslie and I go way back. And can I just tell you, you know this if you're here because you wouldn't be here. I got to be careful how I talk about them. I'll get choked up. Your pastor's. Tim and Christy, you know because you're here. There's a word that's really important in in, in my home that my wife and I talk a lot, lot, and the word is authenticity. Like like there's nothing more important than authenticity and being our authentic selves. And and if if you know your pastors, Tim and Christy, a little bit, um, here's the great thing about them. That's how I describe them. The more you know them, the more you like them. The people that know them the most like them the most. They're authentic. They are who they are. 
I, the good parts about Caleb are because of the influence and impact they've had in my life over the past 20 years. For whatever reason, as a 12, 13-year-old, yeah, yes. For whatever reason, as a 11, 12, 13-year-old, they sought me out and saw something in me, and I don't know what it was, and helped get rid of the other stuff that I'm still trying to get rid of, um, and shaped me and who I am today, and we've been doing life together um, for tw over 20 years, and I'm just so thankful for them. And if, if you're new here and considering this to be your home, or if you're watching online looking for a home, um, you don't have to look anymore. Come hang out. Um, this, is a, this is an authentic community of people who love people. And, and are we perfect? Uh-uh. We are as flawed as anyone, but we are saved by a king who is in the business of redeeming people. And we want to love you with all that we have. And so come and be a part. I invite you to do that at this church this morning. I love this church. I just want you to know that. About me, this is my wife, Casey. She's the beautiful redhead up here. We've been married for going on 12 years this year. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, it's the greatest con I ever pulled is tricking her to be with me somehow. It took a lot of work. I asked her after three months. She said no. In the 12th week, I just showed up at her house anyways. What are you going to do? Um, anyways. <laughs> Um, we have three little children. I have a nine-year-old uh, daughter named Roslyn, who is the light of my life. She tricked us. I thought I was a good parent. I just had her first. And so um, she's wonderful. She's nine. I have an almost five-year-old son named Wallace, and I have an almost two-year-old son named Rhodes. And they're all redheaded, and our life is insane. So um, <laughs> stubborn and all the things that come with it. So so, so thankful to be with you today. We are going to dive into the series. Or if you're wondering if he's going to slow down the way he's talking, I am not. Look around and see somebody who's seen me speak before, and they're going, nah, he's not going to slow down. So we're just going to get after it, right? Like I, I once talked to a pastor. He talked fast. I was like, how do you get people to stop telling you to slow down? And he's like, just make sure what you're saying is worth listening to. And I was like, I was like, so we're going to grip and rip this morning. You ready to go? Yeah. Yeah, let's pray, shall we? Let's invite the Lord to do what he does, okay? Jesus, we invite you into this room, Father. We are so thankful that your word is true and every one of, word of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, Father, may you do those things this morning. May you do what your word does. May you stir us up. May you convict us and may you cause us to soar today, Lord Jesus. Amen. Father, right now we proclaim the enemy out of this room. We pray him out, Jesus. May he not have a stronghold or a foothold. May the laundry and the dryer be forgot about. May the finances be forgot about. May the stress be forgot about. May the anxieties be left home. May the difficulties in our marriage and all the things that fight and distract us, Jesus, we pray him out of this room. They have no stronghold here. So, Father, may you move powerfully. And I pray, God, that we walk out of this room differently in the way we walked in. Or may we make the hard choice not to. May that be on us, Father. We ask that you move in the way you do, in your name. Amen. Amen. The art of living. The art of living. Now, this has been an incredible series. I've been able to watch and tune in with you. We began looking at potter and clay, and I was talking to David about it. Last, I, was, I was like watching how he forms the clay, and I was like, I was trying to listen to anything else, and I was like, how does he not mess that up? And I was like, you know, like I was just captivated by it. We looked at this, Tim's idea of paint by numbers, right? Versus the, oh, God's canvas and what he has for you. We talked about the power of breaking free. And last week, Scott came up here and he talked to you. It begins with vision and he was painting. And I was like, it's going to get on your jacket, bro. Be careful. Uh, I was like, I was like, I was trying to get out of my head. Now, when Tim first uh, talked to me a few months ago about doing, uh, coming back here and speaking with you, and he was like, hey, would you be interested? I was like, yeah. I mean, whatever. If you have, if you have a week, if you need someone, whatever. I don't, it depends on what you want me to talk about. Um, 
he was telling me this idea for the series, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, that sounds great. He's like, I think you could really lean into it. And I was like, it sounds awesome. I'm all about it. And then as Tim does, God reveals things to him, and he gets really creative, and he's like, okay. And like three weeks later, it was this thing, we're going to have an art show, and it's going to be creativity and stuff like this. And I was like, I ain't your guy. Nah, not your guy. Like, like, uh, like, I love that Scott was talking about last week. Like, you know, you're artist even if you don't realize it by the way you dress. And I was like, uh, five times a week I leave the house and my wife's like, uh, uh, try again. And I'm like, okay, let's go. <laughs> I'm not a hairdresser. It's like the way you, you, way you fix your hair. And I was like, God took care of that for me. I got one style. It's called Caleb and sunscreen in the summer. Like, that's it. Like, that's it. I'm not the creative type. In fact, I was writing in my notes, I used to do this thing. If you look at your podcast page, all of your sermons are titled really creatively. And Tim's been doing this with me since I was a child. And he's like, what's your name of your sermon? And I'm like, week five. <laughs> and then this morning I get here and Tim and Josh come up to me and like, what's the title of your sermon? We need it for the Facebook Live. I was like, week six. That's what I... <laughs> We did a sermon on, we did a series on Jesus a few years ago at this church. Many of you remember we did it for 52 weeks. And I was like, week 11, week 46, week 51, week 19, those are mine. <laughs> I don't know. Not, not my thing, not my creativity. So I called him and I was talking to him about it a couple weeks ago. He's like, so where are you leaning? And, and I was like, well, here's, here's my issue. I'm thinking about this. And he's like, I don't want you to do it like me. That's not why I'm bringing it. I want you to do it you. So, so I don't, You've seen how it's been done the past few weeks. You're not getting that today. You're getting Caleb's version. I hope you're okay with it. I'm just going to do the only way I know how. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how to do poetry. Um, you know, I'm just happy I'm making it from sunup to sundown, folks. So we're going to get after it. <clears throat> this morning, we are going to talk about one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. We are going to be talking about a story filled with creativity and colors and visions and dreams. We're going to look at the life of Joseph, one of my favorite things in the Bible. I have had the privilege of the church that I'm now a part of to teach Joseph. I've been studying Joseph since February intensely. We, uh, I'm teaching on Wednesday nights. We did a 10-week class for about 90 minutes a night. And I uh, first talked about uh, this with Tim. I was like, hey, I've been doing this thing with Joseph, and I really want you to preach Joseph because I want to know how you tell it. Like, I want you, and I don't want it to be a two-week deal. So you're all now my vessels. We need him to teach this so I can hear how he would do it because I want to learn. Um, so, and he was like, I don't want to do it. I want to hear you do it. And so this is what we're talking about today. So I was like, great, we'll get my bad version out of the way, and then you can come in and clean this up sometime in the next, in 2023 series on Joseph, 14 weeks long, we'll do it. Um, so I've been, I've been studying this for a while, and one of my favorite things to do when I study scripture is this thing called the abstraction ladder. You don't know what this is? It's like so... You ask, uh, you come in, you're like, you look, hey, like, man, I am tired this morning. And someone's like, why? Well, I did not sleep good last night. Why? Well, I have children. And you, I haven't slept good in nine years. That's why I haven't slept good. And you're like, like, oh, why aren't they sleeping? Well, you're not doing this. And you're like, well, why? What's really going on? And you're like, well, you know, work's been crazy this week. Well, why is work crazy? Well, I don't like it, you know, and this. And, and you get written, you keep asking enough questions, it gets down to it. Well, I don't fulfill my job, and I haven't felt God talk to me in a long time. And I'm like, that's why you're tired this morning. Let's talk about that. That's the abstraction ladder. And that's what we're going to do this morning with Joseph. We're going to, we're going to look at a story from 30,000 feet. Then we're going to get our boots on the ground and figure out what's going on in this. Okay, you ready to go? We're going to read a lot of scripture. And that's not a time to check out. Trust me, whatever I read has more power than anything that I'll say. I can trust you in that. So let's tune in as we dive into the story of Joseph. We're going to hop around. We're going to talk about it a little bit. Let's get after it. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start in verse 23. Here we go. 
Here's the setup, all right? Joseph is this dude. He has lots of visions. He's got brothers and uh, his dad really likes. He's got 12 brothers. He's got all these visions. His dad gives him this really nice fancy coat, which I never understood because when I think ancient Middle East, I'm not thinking, I wonder what coats they were wearing. I wonder, I wonder how they kept warm in the desert. Like, I never understood that. But he gives him this coat and he's the favorite. Any of you out there have siblings and you're like, I'm the favorite? Anyone want to admit that? Yeah. Usually, like, a few of you will admit it. Someone out there is the favorite. Any of you, like, I'm clearly not the favorite? Yeah, my people. Yeah, clearly not the favorite. Because, you know, parents, we don't have favorites, but we have favorites. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't have favorites, but we have favorites. Like, like here's the deal. I love my three children all the same. But hour to hour, I sure like them very differently. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hour to hour. My youngest has bled more in the month of July than the other two combined in their whole lives. I just, I don't understand it. So Joseph's brothers become very jealous and they're like, we have to take, we have to get rid of this. He's making our lives miserable. So they come up with a plan. Genesis 37, verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. Well, I've heard that word before. Jesus is all. When they were on their way to take them down to Egypt, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our own brother in flesh and blood. Like, you know, we won't kill him. We'll just sell him because, you know, he's our brother. And they're like, oh, yeah. You ever come up with a bad idea to make the other bad idea not seem so bad? (laughs) You're in good company. It's been happening a long time. His brothers agreed. So the Midianite merchants came by. His brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. This is how the story of Joseph really begins. He's a guy who has visions and his brothers become very jealous and they sell him and he becomes a slave. For what? For existing and his father showing favor toward him. His father liking him. He's thrown in the cistern. He becomes a slave. Let's skip a little bit to chapter 39. Joseph uh, verse 1 right here. There it is. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, right? The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Next verse. Hold up there. Uh, one day, uh, we'll stop there. Lord gave him prosper in everything he did. So here's the story of Joseph, right? He's been sold into slavery. We're like, yeah, but look what God did. And we're caught up like, man, the Lord takes care of him. And in his taking care of him, he's still a captive and a slave for something he never did. Joseph's story is like, we love to do this thing as American Christians where we're going to look on the positive side of scripture and like forget like what's going on when the people are in it. You're like, wow, can you believe he did that? Like, wow. And God would just took care of him while he was a slave. Like, like, this is not, this is, we got to be careful what we read. Now, Joseph's a good looking dude. Probably a lot this. Um, <laughs> he's a good looking dude and he's working in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife's like, I like the way this guy looks a little bit. So she starts, you know, trying to make advances and he's like, I can't do this. Like, like, I'm already in a bad shape. I can't get involved in this. And she keeps doing it. And he's like, no, 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 no. And then we're going to pick up the story right here. Let's skip down to verse 11. One day he went to the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. Run away. It's an empty house. Get out. It's never good for anything. Watch a movie. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. When he saw she had left his cloak, 
in her hand and ran out of the house. She called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. I mean, at this point, are you not saying, Joseph, quit wearing coats, man? Like, no good has come from your coats. Have you ever seen a painting of an Egyptian wearing a coat? I'm going to Egypt. Well, make sure you go by Columbia. You now uh, you want a coat. Quit wearing coats, dude. Like, just abandon it. She captures his coat and keeps it. Go to verse 19. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison ward. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. He had great success while in prison for something he didn't do. Like this is the story of Joseph. Nothing is going right. Even the things that were like, man, look what God did. God began to do things in his life. The things that look like they're going right are still in the worst situation ever. This is maybe why the psalmist knows, hey, maybe we relate to Joseph, right? That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Joseph is in the valley of the shadow of death in this passage. He's walking in it. And the Lord is with him. But that's why that verse doesn't say, even when I'm delivered from the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. That's not the verse, is it? Even while Joseph is walking, he's walking in the valley of the shadow of death. Joseph's in prison, and he's an elevated place in prison as a prisoner who's been wrongly accused of rape and is now in prison for something he didn't do, after being a slave for something he didn't do, being sold by the people who should love him the most. And two people come into his life, a cupbearer and a baker, and they come in there, and they have these crazy dreams. And their dreams mimic each other. There's all sorts of things we could get into the dreams, and they have these dreams, and they're like, Joseph, what does it mean? And Joseph's like, God has revealed things. And he's like, tell me what it means. And Joseph's like, well, I can't tell you what it means. God can but I can't. He's really quick. No, no, not me, God. Not me, God. How many times do people come to you for your advice and you're like, ooh, I, here's what I have for you. Uh, uh, here's what the Lord has for you. Amen. All we are is to be vessels for the Lord, right? Joseph is like, it's not me, not me, not me. Here's what the Lord can tell you. So Joseph tells him what their dreams mean, and he's like, hey, for one of you, this is great. Cupbearer, you're going to get out of here. They're going to prove you're innocent, and you're going to get your position. And he's like, wonderful. And the baker's like, what about me? And he's like, eh, you're going to be taken and they're going to, you're going to die. You know, you're going to die, but I'm just, don't kill the interpreter. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just telling you the dream. Let's go to verse 20 of chapter 40. Oh, and by the way, he tells the cupbearer, hey, when you get out, can you tell the king what I, Pharaoh, what I did? You remember? And by the way, I didn't do this thing. And since if, if what I say is true, can you remember me? And he's like, I got your back. Um, people never have your back when I say that, right? Um, um, verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the cupbearer to his position, just as uh, not Joseph said, but as God said, just as God said, so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief cupbearer, uh, the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to him in his interpretation. Verse twenty-three. Woo! What a sad verse. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Imagine, um, very quickly, just go to chapter 41 and read the first part. When two full years had passed, 
I love that it doesn't say two years had passed. I love that word full, just so the reader gets it. Two full years later, Joseph's sitting in prison. Like, imagine how excited Joseph is day four when the cupbearer leaves prison. I'm going to get out of here. He knows I didn't do it. This happens day four. Day 12 goes by. Okay, nothing's happened yet, but he knows. And maybe this is God delivering me out. Nothing happens. Day 38, 59, 78, 126, 350. Day 581, and you're still in prison. Sitting there, waiting for something you didn't do. And here's the worst part. Everyone knows. (laughs) Everyone knows. Chapter 41, verse 1. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed amongst the reeds. After them seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows, and Pharaoh woke up. Have you ever woke up from one of those crazy dreams and been like, what? My, my wife loves true crime, so we're always falling asleep watching true crime, and I'm like, just give me Great British Bake Off. I don't want to have crazy dreams. Yes. I want to go to bed being like, mm, I think that tart was underbaked. That's all I want. <laughs> I don't need anyone chasing me in my sleep. (laughs) Verse 5. He fell asleep again. He had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. And after them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. Pharaoh has this crazy dream. And he sends off his magicians and sorcerers. And he's like, tell me what this dream means. Tell me what this dream means. And no one can tell him. And the cupbearer brings him his, you know... uh, you know, apple juice. And he's like, here you go, Pharaoh. And he's, he's drinking it. And he's like, he's like, no one can tell me what this dream means. And he, the cupbearer has this moment like, ooh, I know a guy. I meant to tell you about him two years ago. <laughs> so it's like this moment, have you ever had that moment like, I should probably tell Pharaoh about this, but it's going to make me look real bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he tells Pharaoh about Joseph, how he interpreted his dreams. So Pharaoh's like, get him, get him, get him. Go to verse 15 of chapter 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph responds, I cannot do it. Hallelujah. Isn't that your response, friends? Someone comes to you, I need something. Whoa, 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 whoa. I cannot do it. God can. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. See, when people come to you and we assume the position of God, guess what we will always do? Spend plenty of time with me. I will fail you. Because then when people, when you're like, I can do it for you, I can do it for you, then people didn't have a relationship with God. They had one with you. And then when you exit their life, they're like, where'd God go? God, Caleb's just not here. They've mis- we, we misconstruct who God is. I can't do it, he says. I can't do it. Highlight, star, underline that verse. I cannot do it. This is what Paul spent chapter after chapter after chapter telling you. I cannot do it. But who? God threw me. So he begins to explain to Pharaoh the meaning of the dream. And he's like, hey, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of plenty. You're going to have plenty of food. And after that, seven years of famine. Everyone's it's going to starve. There's going to be no sowing, no reaping. Nothing's going to happen. So here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. And he lays out this big plan, how you're going to feed everyone, how everyone's going to survive. And Pharaoh's looking around. And at that point, I imagine the magicians and other people are like, yeah, that's kind of what we meant. You know, we just said it differently than the Hebrew. And they're like, he's like, no. Nah. Pharaoh responds this way in verse 19. Uh, no, not verse 19. That was a lie. Sorry. Verse 37. 
The plan seemed so good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one whom is the spirit of God? This was an Egyptian who thought himself God, is now being like the spirit of God in this man. You see when God, this is why we read verses when Jesus says, you will do even greater things than I, and we don't believe them. You just haven't read the book, friends. We haven't read the book. The spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be put in charge of my palace and all of my people to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So, jo- so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. When Pharaoh took his ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger, he dressed him in robes. Again, we'll be careful. A fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in his chariot and his second command and men shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. God continues to reveal himself to Joseph in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. He continues to reveal and sustain him over and over and over. And then the big event of Joseph's life happens. As if all of those weren't enough, the big one happens. There are not, for nine years, everything happens just as Joseph had said it would. And then on the ninth year, some people show up to ask Joseph for food. And they don't recognize him. It's his brothers. They're out of food. They're dying. Their people are dying. And they show up face to face with Joseph. Now, how many of you would have been like, yes, come to me. Like, like let me give you, like, like we would have, we do, this, we do this thing where either we're vindictive or we do this Christian vindictive. We're like, we're going to kill him with kindness. And I was like, kindness is a fruit of the spirit. Like, that's to give life. You ain't killing anyone with kindness. Like, Joseph meets his brothers, and he has some back and forth with them. He, he has a little bit of fun, you know, playing with them a little bit. He has a little bit of back and forth. And then, and then it gets to the moment where he can handle it no more. Chapter 45, verse 3. If you're looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, here it is. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. He finally breaks. He can't handle it anymore. Face to face with his brothers who years ago sold him to slavery, that every, all of these hardships that have come his way are because they sold him. And he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. What they had done, when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is your son, Joseph. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down. Don't delay. He reveals himself and he reacts with forgiveness. Like what? So what do we do with this story? In the context of the series called The Art of Living, the creator and his creatives, what do we pull from this story? And I was looking and I was trying to climb down the abstraction ladder of this story from 30,000 feet. And I finally just wrote down on this piece of paper, I don't understand how Joseph lived like this. 
Am I alone in this? How did he do it? Like, have you ever asked yourself that question about Joseph? It's like, sometimes we read these stories of Scripture and we're like, wow. We're like, no, this was just a dude who lived. How did he live this way? How in a story where he is, Joseph is continuously failed over and over and over by people, by God's people, nothing goes right in his story. Even in his promotions, see, the Egyptians thought of themselves as gods. It was the most racist community in the history of the planet. They considered themselves gods. And if you weren't an Egyptian, you were dirt. And if you were a Hebrew, you were below dirt. So even in his highest place, he lived a life of solitude. We're like, Joseph's number two in Egypt, and he's completely alone. No one will eat with him, talk to him, or even look at him. They come and they ask for food like this. Give us food, you Hebrew. And you know what he does? He gives them food. How did he do this? How did he live a life where nothing goes right? And you know how many negative things are said about Joseph? Nothing. Do you know how many times Joseph complains? Not once. Do you know how many prayers we read where he's lamenting and asking God for help and deliverance? None. It's not in the book. Joseph never even complains. He's failed over and over and over again. And he constantly, God continues to reveal himself to Joseph and sustain Joseph in the midst of all of this horribleness. How? What verse was Joseph running to when he needed one? He didn't have one. He was living Genesis. You know what he wasn't able to do on a bad morning in prison? Listen to the new Elevation album or the Hillsong album to pick his spirits up. He didn't have them. He wasn't able to gather in church on Sunday mornings. They didn't have them. He had no pastor. He had no podcast. He had no small group. He had no community. He had not a single verse of scripture. How did he do it? After all these months of studying, everyone I've studied, and this is not from Caleb. These are women and men who have studied the Bible and are much smarter than me and studied a lot longer than me. They all come to the same conclusion. Joseph was able to live like this. The art of Joseph living this way was that he never lost sight of who God was. Joseph always had, and this is the key part, a proper view of God. A proper view of God. He was able to see his current situation and see the story that God was telling. How many of us get locked up in that situation that we're dealing with? And I can't pass through. God, where are you? God, where are you? And Joseph was able to see past that. You see, we want to see God in every situation. We want God to sustain us in every situation. We want God to reveal himself in every situation. And when we lose sight of who he is, we begin to complain and we we feel lost. God, where are you? Where are you? It's because we've lost sight of who God is. Joseph was able to see God in every situation, in every circumstance. I I mean, here's the thing, friends. This is great about this message. This is what we call silver platter, right? This is every one of us in the room. Have you ever felt that? You're walking through a situation you're like, God, where are you? I can't see you in the situation. God, speak to me. Reveal yourself. God, where are you? And he's like, I'm right here. You just haven't given me that yet. Amen. I'm right here, Caleb, but you haven't given me that yet. Here's what we want as people. We want God to be Savior. And he is. Hallelujah. We just celebrated it. He's Savior. I need God to save me from everything that I deserve. Scripture tells me that for all sin and fallen short of the glory of God, and boy, don't I fit that description. We've fallen short. I need God to save me and rescue me from everything that I deserve. God, save me, save me, save me. I need this. But here's the truth. We as people, we want God to be a full-time Savior, but we're only looking for a part-time Lord. 
That's all we're looking for. I want a full-time Savior. God, I need you to save me from this. But Lord, that Lord stuff, that Lordship, uh, some of it. Did Joseph ever lose sight of who God was? No. He was always where? My king is king. When I'm in the cistern, he's king. When I'm with my family, he's king. When I'm, in, when I'm a slave, he's king. When I'm in jail for something I didn't do, he's king. They're not doing that to me. King's allowing this to happen. When he was second to Pharaoh, he's king. When I'm face to face with my brothers who wronged me, God's king. So what we do is we're like, I want you to save me, God, from this, but I'll make you Lord of this, but not this. See, we got to start, stop looking for a part-time Lord. We do this thing where we're like, God, we want you to be Lord of my career. God, I want you to be Lord of my career. Bring me, a, bring me a good job, God. Bring me a job that I love going to, a job that fulfills me, God, a job that provides financially for me. But I'm going to think and talk about my boss and coworkers however I want. That's mine. That's mine. I'll hold on to that one for me. So the question, friends, has he lorded your career? Or is he a genie you're hoping gives you what you wish for? Like, that's not lord of your career. That's, that's part-time stuff. And God's like, you want me to be lord of your career? God, I want you to be lord of my career. And yes, he may give you a job that you love. And he may give you a job that you fulfilled. And he may give you a job that provides financially. But lord of your career means God's going to send people into your career that desperately need life breathed into them. That's lord of your career. That's life-giving. You know what God's going to do? If you say, God, I want you to be Lord of my career, he's going to surround you with people who are walking through divorce, people who just got a cancer diagnosis, people who've been carrying around baggage. He's going to bring you jerks that surround you. He's going to like breathe life into them. That's why you're here. He didn't say to Joseph, hey, I want to make you Lord of everything. I'm going to deliver you from everything. No, I'm going to put you where people need you the most, and you're going to bring life into the people. This is why Jesus says this, right? I didn't come to make good people great or give us great lives. He came to make dead people alive. That's why he came. Jesus is in the business of bringing life. So, don't, so is he Lord of your career? I don't know. Are you breathing life into people? Right? Well, I don't really like this person I work next to. Wonderful. Jesus died for those that you can't stand. He, he's obsessed with them. Is he Lord of that? Or is he part-time? You know, I can't say, God, I want you to be Lord of my finances, but my pride, that's mine. I'm going to hold on to that. Like, God, I don't want to be prideful, but don't humble me. I don't, I don't want any business of that. You know, God, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you Lord of my job, but I'll pick and choose who's earned the right of my forgiveness. I'll choose who's deserved my forgiveness. And Jesus is like, I did that to him. I went to the cross for it. What are you holding on to, friends? God, I'll give you my heart, but not my anger and my bitterness. No, I won't do that. That's, that's mine. God, I'll give you my time. I'll give you my right now. But my future, I want to hang on to that. That's for me to control. God, I'll... I'll give you my relationships, but not my sexuality. I'll, I'll, I'll lust after whatever I want to. It doesn't matter if I'm married or this. I'll pursue whatever I want to. God, that part's mine. You can't have that part of my heart. That's mine. God, I'll give you my family, but not my friendships. This is, this is what Joseph did. Like, like, have you ever been let down by someone who calls himself a Jesus follower? You're in a good club. In fact, you know who the children of God were? The 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel were sons of Jacob. Jacob's sons were Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery. That's how we meet the children of God. They sold one of their own into slavery. And the one they sold into slavery never, never thought God did him wrong. 
but we have something goes wrong with people of God. Like, how could you treat me like this? So we abandon and deconstruct our faith. And God's like, I didn't do this. I died for this reason. Because we've lost a proper view of who God is. If I were to stand in front of you and be like, I'm God, you'd call me an idiot. But if I hurt your feelings, you're like, I'm out. Church is done. I'm like, God, we, can't, we can't lose our view of who God is. We can't make him Lord of this. And here's the thing. I hope you're not seeing me as someone who stands in front of you. I heard a pastor tell me, he's like, you know, try not to preach too much on things you struggle on. I was like, then I'm out. I'm not someone in front of you who's like, he's Lord of my whole life. I, I want him to be. I want him to be so bad. But I understand someone, I'll just be honest with you. This is my home. I love this church. I wouldn't do this normally, but I have yet to make God Lord of my kids. And I want him to be, I'm desperate for it. But when I begin to doubt and when I begin to be like, God, where are you? Reveal yourself to me. It's usually when things are going wrong with my kids when they're experiencing sickness or hurt or when they're walking through it. And I'm like, God, where are you? And he's like, Caleb, I'm here. You just haven't given me them yet. And I'm like, my kids have become my idol because I'm hanging on to them. I'm trying to control it. I'm trying to do whatever it takes. And God's like, you haven't given them to me yet. They're not, I'm not Lord of that yet. This is all of us in the room, friends. You know, I was talking to my wife about this earlier this week, and I was like, why don't we, why is this so hard for us to live like Joseph? And she's very blunt, and she said, because we don't have to live like Joseph to get into heaven. See, most of us are looking for general admission, Caleb. We don't need the mezzanine. And I was like, yeah, that's the truth. The, the truth is that most of us are just fine sitting in the bleachers. We don't need to be in the orchestra pit. But you know what? God's telling the story in the orchestra pit. That's where he's telling the story. God's holding the instrument and he's like, I want you to come and tell the story. Be a part of the story that I'm telling. Joseph, oh, is it not me, not me. Here's what God's telling you. And God's in the orchestra pit handing you an instrument and we're sitting in the nosebleeds going, I'm fine. And God's like, I got an instrument for you. If you just make me Lord and follow my lead, I'll reveal myself. I'll sustain you. I'll, I'll make you live like you've never lived before, but you've got to let go. What are you holding on to, church? And the thing is like, this is not a negative thing. And what we do is we come into church and we're like, oh, I'm so bad. Uh, he's not Lord of this area. He's not Lord of this. Like, that's not what I'm saying today. What I'm saying today, when I pray that prayer that we would walk out of here differently in the way we walked in, what I'm inviting you to this morning is why not make him Lord of your life something this morning and live like you've never lived in that area of your life? What an opportunity. It's not a woe is me. He's not Lord. It's a, oh my goodness, there's another part of my life that he could be Lord of. What's the last time you gave something to God and it got worse? What are you holding on tight to, friends? Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads right now. Not a soul's looking around, just me. And I don't get to come here very much, so I'm gonna encourage you with all I got. If you're in this room right now, and here, here's the truth. I could, I could give you a big list right now. Maybe it's this, you know, for me, it's my children. But there's some areas of your life, it could be your pride, it could be your bitterness, it could be your unwillingness to forgive, it could be your finances, it could be your career, it could be the way you speak about people, but you're holding on to something. God's part-time Lord in the area of your life. I could give you lists, but you know what it is. It's that thing you're trying not to think about right now. 
Here's my prayer that we will walk out of the room differently in the way we walked in. Can I invite you to do something? If you would say, Caleb, that's me. I got an area in my life that he's not Lord of my life of, and I want to quit holding on to it. I want to get out of the nosebleeds. I want to get out of the nosebleeds. I want to get in the orchestra pit. I want to play. I want to make him Lord. Caleb, that's me. Would you pray for me? Put your hand up all around this room. Let me see. I see you all around this room. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. You're going to be Lord this morning. Invade this room, Lord God. I see you all around this room. I see you. I see you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you this morning that God would be Lord of your life in ways that he's never been before and that you would begin to live as he's called you to live and that he would reveal himself and sustain himself. Here's what I believe. I believe there's someone in this room that said, Caleb, he's never been Lord of anything in my life. And I desperately want him to. Can I tell you this morning, if you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you would say, Caleb, I've never thought, I haven't thought about Jesus in a long time. Can I tell you something? He's been thinking about you all week. He can't get you off his mind. You're in this room and you'd say, Caleb, I want him to be Lord of my life for the first time. I want to say yes to Jesus. Can I invite you to do that? That's you in this room. Would you put your hand up right back down? Be the greatest thing you ever do. I see you. I see you. Hallelujah. I see you. Here's what I'm going to do. Let's make him Lord of your life right now. It's the greatest thing you'll ever be. It'll change everything about everything about everything. And all you have to do is this. Say this prayer right where you're at. Lord Jesus, in the best way I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I give my heart to you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. I promise I will never be the same again. If you're in this room and you just prayed that prayer, hear me say this. He will be Lord of your life and you will live in a way that you never thought possible. He will change everything about everything about your story. So friends, we're gonna pray and we're gonna respond and we're gonna sing. We're gonna have a prayer team up here. And let me encourage you. We're gonna be in this room for the next four minutes. No matter, no matter what, what are you gonna do with it? Don't walk out of here the same way you walked in. We're gonna open this altar up, fill it up, flood it. Let go of whatever you're holding on to. Stop desiring a part-time Lord. Say, God, I wanna let go. I wanna be part of the story. I want you to reveal yourself to me. I want you to sustain me in this area, God. God, I see you. You're right here. I just wanna give it to you. God's like, I'm here. Give it to me. Could we give it to him this morning, church? Can we make him Lord this morning, church? What is the area of your life that you've been holding on to? Jesus is like, let it go. I have more for you. And let's celebrate the altar this morning. Let's celebrate getting prayer this morning and saying, I want to make God Lord of my life and watch what he does. Father, I pray for this time right now as we respond, that you would give us the boldness and the courage to respond, Jesus, that we would let go of whatever it is we're holding on to, that we would stop wondering where you are, doubting God, being in the struggle because, God, you have made yourself clear and plain to us. You have revealed yourself to us, Jesus, because we have let go and made you Lord of that area of our life. May we let go, Father, and may you cause us to live. Jesus, I pray in earnest that we would walk out of here differently the way we came in. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.